Journo at Stories That Matter Studios. I'm Nance Haxton, and this is The Streets of Your Town, The Journo Project. This podcast is all about recognising great Australian journos wherever they may be around the world. With the media in Australia under increasing attack and hard-won freedoms under threat, there's no better time to celebrate and highlight the work of the top journalists from down under. This journo's expose of the Commonwealth Bank scandal and more than 53,000 alleged breaches of anti-money laundering and terror financing laws won him a Walkley Award for the best coverage of a major event or issue. But renowned ABC senior business correspondent Peter Ryan proudly tells the journo project that he doesn't have a business degree and doesn't need one to keep the big financial players in Australia accountable. Peter Ryan has used the same journalistic rig for all the roles he has taken in the newsroom over decades, from leading the ABC's US Bureau in the 90s through to his business expertise today. Peter Ryan, ABC journalist, senior business correspondent, been around for a while and uh, yes, so um, (laughs) just don't call me late for dinner. (laughs) So Peter, um, here we are in the ABC studios at Ultimo. You've been here for quite a few years now in varying roles in your business specialty. Yeah, look, um, I I joined the ABC back in 1984 and it's a, uh, it was a bit of an unexpected uh, career change because I began my career as a, I guess, a tabloid journalist on uh, Sydney's Daily Mirror in the afternoon newspaper wars and I was a police roundsman, I guess a bit of a foot in the door guy and uh, one of my mentors, Jack Darmody who was one of the top crime reporters in Sydney and Melbourne said to me the afternoon newspaper game isn't going to last forever. Oh, he I, was a bit sage, wasn't he? Yeah, Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack had a few mates that he used to uh, drink with um, uh, at the ABC at lunchtime and said, they're looking around for uh, good young reporters and um, I can set up a meeting with you and the rest is uh, history. And uh, uh, going back to those days, the federal news editor, Bert Christie and uh, uh, Ian Wolfe uh, gave me a job and I started at the ABC as a, as a reporter. And... Um, it was a big change from uh, you know, News Limited as it was at the oh. in those days as a police rounds reporter, but I was able to use that as an opportunity to uh, travel around the country in Darwin, ending up in Melbourne, and then uh, being posted uh, to Washington for the ABC, which was, you know, really, as you can imagine, a highlight. Yeah, so uh, was business always a, a passion for you, or was this a later development? Uh, well, um, it, it really wasn't Ooh. until I moved to uh, Melbourne um, in, the, in the mid-1980s and in the lead-up to the uh, financial crisis in Victoria, there were a lot of issues on, such as the uh, collapse of the Pyramid uh, Building Society, a number of uh, property-exposed funds were collapsing, and I worked out pretty soon that um, I I, I understood a bit about the business, but I wanted to um, absorb information, build new contacts, and also early on, for my own benefit as much as the audiences, be able to um, articulate and report uh, complex finance issues without sending people to sleep and that uh, certainly came in There is a skill to that with That's business right. reporting I That's think Peter, right. that is underestimated And, and, and as I said, I, be, I began as a uh, as a police uh, reporter and a, uh, a courts reporter and a political reporter in uh, Macquarie Street here in Sydney and also mm-hmm. later in Canberra um, but it wasn't until I joined the ABC that I had that opportunity to um, to really uh, listen to uh, some of the, the, mm. the business journalists around me, not so much at the ABC 
receive at some newspaper journalists and often my advice is if you're uh, if you want to learn about what you're doing uh, shut up and listen and absorb like a sponge and that's what I've done over the years and I think that in my role at you know at, at AM in particular over uh, many years at the ABC and News 24 and the World Today and PM that I think that being able to look at issues like the global financial crisis, look at what happened just last year with the Banking Royal Commission, all those scandals, um, mm. what money laundering is all about, being able to communicate that in a digestible and at times, I suppose, entertaining way to a general audience is really important and increasingly important because more and more people want to understand these complex issues. So, Peter, there's a few things there I think I want to follow up from what you've said. I mean, it sounds like you've almost brought the verb and energy of police and court reporting to business reporting. Maybe that's a bit of, of what's missing sometimes. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, um, I was musing last year when we were uh, covering the uh, the Banking Royal Commission mm -hmm. and uh, I was on the air with AM and uh, in a uh, Q&A on the program and, and I, I said, um, after 30 years of being a journalist and having been a, a police rounds reporter, I felt that the Banking Royal Commission was more about being a crime story than it was about being a finance mm -hmm. story. And when you look at uh, white collar crime, which, uh, you know, tends there tends to be a bit of a gulf between that and a normal, uh, regular crime by, you know, criminals, cops and robbers. It is people being robbed, having uh, their uh, uh, bank accounts um, played mm. with, um, you know, fees being charged when no service was provided, um, people who put money into superannuation funds looking for a retirement nest egg and discovering that, you know, it's been eaten away by fees or advisor, uh, advisor commissions. It, it is a crime story and a number of people have lost their jobs. I mean, no one's gone to jail as a, as a result of the Royal Commission. But uh, there have been some big heads that have rolled right at the top of, of banks, you know, at the National Australia Bank. And, um, you know, so it's important that we report these issues in a way that people will, will understand. And that's part of the skill of the journalist, to strip back some of these things, like you say, white-collar crime, which sometimes can really fly under the radar because I think journalists included think, oh, it's a bit complicated, I'm not really sure how to break that down. But that really is the underestimated skill of a good reporter. Yeah, well, often in journalism, I often, you know, look at, say, business and finance reporting, um, it, it, you might have, you know, really, really good reporters, even former foreign correspondents who get asked to do a sports story and they really go into a meltdown of stress <laughs> about covering a sports story. And I've said to um, one of my close friends at the ABC who had to cover a sports story, you know, highly regarded foreign correspondent, and I said, look, I think you just got to concentrate on the bif biffo and the human story and leave it to Sydney, uh, the Sydney sports desk to write the intro and guide you on that but I think that when you're reporting stories you've got to consider uh, the human emotion you've got to consider the colour you've got to be able to explain and also a lot of the, the work I do at the moment is being able to convince big names, you know, whether they're regulators, mm. business people, to come onto a program like AM when these people are often more comfortable uh, talking to a newspaper reporter, thinking that they're safer with newspaper quotes, when, as you know, it's easier to take um, a printed quote out of context than it is being on the air, mm. uh, particularly if you're live. So, I mean, that sort of thing's important, you know, when it comes down to, you know, building contacts, maintaining your credibility, um, being the type of person that no one can really guess what you're 
your political allegiances might be, uh, but being a uh, journalist that people know will always give them a fair go, will ask the hard questions, but I hope uh, that I ask hard questions in a in a courteous and a polite way, in, in the sense that I would encourage other people to come onto my program as well. So, so that I, respect is really crucial. I think you've got to show respect to people, mm. you've got to you've got to be able to, you know, ask those really hard questions, mm. but you don't have to do that in, in an aggressive way. And, uh, you know, occasionally, though, you've got to ask questions that might um, make people think I'm never going to talk to that guy again, but that's what journalism is about. And it's mm. not about, you know, um, getting the same talent on over and over again, it, but it's about being able to dig into the story and expose the story and, um, and also to maintain your own credibility and integrity and that, you know, of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. I always remember Mark Colvin telling me not to squib on the hard questions, so that's why we're there. Yeah. I think I think you've got to ask them, yep. and it just uh, often, it, it, you know, depends on the way that you might do a particular interview. Um, you can, you know, some some journalists might, you know, do a uh, ask all the standard questions in an interview, and once you have your interviewee relaxed, you can throw in the hard questions at the end, and that's a, you know, a, a technique that is often used. And but I think that you know, in the world of you know uh, corporates and governments, um, uh, people who are being prepared for interviews know you know what should be coming and anyone who goes into an, into an interview without doing a bit of research on the person who's doing the interview or um, understanding the program they work for well they're a bit unwise not actually if they're, they're a bit unwise that they get if they go into interviews blind because you know we will always you know do our best to ask the hard questions and I think what I wanted to follow up on too is that you you went into business without a you know finance degree or anything like that it just reminds me a bit of strangely a story that I did on boxing and a few people have said to me oh and how did you you know what did you know about boxing and I'm like well nothing before I started on that is that part of the the game of journalism almost to, to throw yourself into perhaps a deep dive into some of these issues when you yeah. you have a sense that something's wrong well I, I've always I've, I've never felt insecure not having a, a degree or anything like that in my particular area because I believe that you know your career your vocation is being a journalist and as I said earlier being able to, you know, absorb information uh, quickly and be a, being able to cut through spin, um, being able to boil complex issues down to three or four bullet points and, uh, you know, often say with, you know, reserve bank statements I, you know, I would learned over the years that it was sometimes best to read from the back of a document <laughs> because they would uh, you know, often tend to bury the lead and so it's a bit disappointing these days that the reserve bank is actually a much better communicator and as I said on the air the other day, starting to put the um, economists and uh, tea leaf readers out of business but um you know, those, you know, when people might hear the term Reserve Bank or the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority or ASIC, uh, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, people start thinking, well, these are big, worthy and important bodies. But in the end, uh, they all have their internal issues. They're wanting to articulate their stories, as we saw during the Royal Commission. They're wanting to get their side of the story out. They're wanting to defend themselves there. So I think that often a lot of what I do these days goes back to some of the basic journalism skills I learned 
moment back in my you know old daily mirror days of you know who what where why when and being able to build contacts and being able to build trust but also being able to maintain the enthusiasm that you might have had when you were an 18 year old or a 19 year old where admittedly I frankly had no idea what I was doing but I enjoyed what I was doing. So is journalism a bit of a, a calling do you think Peter? Well I had always uh, wanted uh, to get into journalism and uh, and I was very interested in doing it the only way of getting into journalism was you know for me applying to uh, newspapers or you know the big Sydney and Melbourne newspapers mm -hmm. but also to every you know regional newspaper in the country and uh, I, uh, I think I must have gone very close to getting a cadetship at the uh, Sydney Morning Herald uh, judging by the extensive file of rejection <laughs> letters that I have at home um, and I missed out on that but um, I had actually um, uh, I'd actually I was actually about to start a, a job as a trainee with BHP in here in Sydney and uh, and and one day when I was at home my father took a phone call and it was from News Limited and I'd applied to News Limited for a job and they came back and said well, we've got a job as a copy boy it's basically an administrative assistant started from the bottom yeah, so I, I uh, uh, to I suppose to the horror at the time of my parents, um, I, I decided I was going to do that, but it was the, the best decision, I think, that I, I ever made. And for those who aren't familiar with the work of uh, a copy boy, particularly on a mm -hmm. um, tabloid, tabloid newspaper, was generally um, when you weren't running bits of copy around downstairs to the stone um, or dropping in new front pages, you were often putting money in parking meters, picking up dry cleaning, getting journos out of the pub, waking people up in the morning, a whole range of other uh, tasks that were certainly uh, character building uh, for someone at the age of 18, which is what I, what I was. So basically, straight out of high school, with a few of the other copy boys that I was with, I stay in touch with, and we're all in various, um, uh, various roles, but uh, certainly a wonderful opportunity. And in my latter years, reporting on Rupert Murdoch and uh, News Corporation, I do have that sort of special insight <laughs> of, of starting out where, where our, um, the ABC's chair, Ida Buttrose, began as a copy girl Ooh. at uh, Frank Packer's Australian Consolidated Press. So that's, uh, you know, good evidence that, uh, you know, those early skills um, create great opportunities. And, uh, you know, Ida's ended up where she is today. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I'm one of her employees. I've often thought that if she can stand up to the Packers from those early days, that the ABC is in good hands. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think uh, particularly after the events uh, last year where we uh, lost our managing director, Michelle Guthrie and Justin Milne in the space of a week, it really was, you know, perhaps the most uh, critical period that I'd witnessed uh, mm -hmm. in the ABC, perhaps even uh, beyond, you know, the uh, era of Jonathan Shire as managing director, because it really did rock, you know, confidence in what was happening in the ABC and also the dossier uh, allegations that came out about a potential or perceived... Uh, political interference was very, very concerning to uh, me and colleagues at the ABC. So we're very fortunate to have a, you know, a strong managing director in uh, David Anderson and also Ida Buttrose. And, and as we've just seen uh, since the federal police raids, I mean, they've been standing up for a free press, which is incredibly important for what we do. What is your view on those, Peter, since we were touching on that now? Is that a really worrying development, do you think, for, for media and democracy? Well, I think it certainly is uh, a definitely a worrying 
um, a situation when, you know, just around the corner from where we're speaking, uh, the federal police were going through, you know, files and, uh, you know, they had the oversight of the ABC's executive editor, John Lyons, who was there with them and he was live tweeting this whole um, event, which was extraordinary. And he goes back to being a, a deadline edition, you know, newspaper reporter and he knows what a good story is, but it was incredibly important uh, that uh, the public was able to see what was happening. Um, ABC News 24 um, broadcast that as well. And uh, so I, I think that that really, um, uh, that really uh, showed journalists here what you know, can happen um, if if you have a situation where um, supposedly independent agencies such as uh, the federal police, you know, do have these powers to raid, and and the big concern is whether whether they were doing this more so to scare off other whistleblowers or leakers, given that the original informant had had actually outed himself. Why do you think this is such uh, a worrying development? I, I suppose I just I, I'm very conscious of I, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, but the police should be able to check on on everyone in society. What's the difference, do you think, to explain that about the role of the press? Well, I, I just think that the, it goes back to the importance of uh, whistleblowers in exposing, you know, important uh, national issues, as we've seen, the journalists' um, ability to be able to shine lights, light into dark corners, uh, to expose important issues that, that, in the case of the Afghan files, allegedly happened off base. And uh, we know that there's a lot of secrecy within the Australian government, particularly when it comes to, you know, defence forces. And, of course, there are very big national security issues at stake, but whistleblowers need uh, protections. They currently don't have the protections that they should have. But um, if it wasn't for whistleblowers, we wouldn't have, for example, seen uh, some of the uh, allegations coming out about, you know, the Commonwealth Bank or the National Australia Bank, as I keep going back that to you, the That you to, exposed to, and won a Walkley yeah. forfeit. Well, yeah, well, I, my, my one was in relation to the money laundering scandal mm. at Commonwealth Bank and, you know, my colleagues at um, Fairfax Media in particular, Adele Ferguson, were right mm. on the front foot with some of those other earlier scandals, at, uh, including, uh, you know, Four Corners. But Were secret true. contacts a crucial part of that or, or informants? Yeah. Well, I think that we all have people who come forward with their stories, but it involves a lot of time in fact-checking and even when you do get to the point where you might want to, you know, proceed with a story, it's about warning whistleblowers about what they might potentially be putting themselves into by becoming a whistleblower, as we've seen with the um, Australian Tax Department's uh, tax officer's pursuit of, of their whistleblower there. You know, things can become very, very nasty, but we need to be able to have the confidence and maintain the confidence that if people come to us and talk about stories, we are going to, you know, protect them. You know, protecting contacts, protecting sources is of utmost relevance. And if we don't do that, I mean, our whole business model of journalism is really damaged. Because I think people forget the ramifications of these stories. It wasn't just that you want to walk, Lee, Peter. Think of the ramifications of of that story that are rolling on even now. Yeah, look, I, I was, um, you know, honoured to, to win that Walkley and, you know, people ask me um, how did you get that story? And so, well, I've spent, you know, 30 years, you know, <laughs> building up contacts and confidence and, and you know, that when that story hit, I couldn't actually, I couldn't believe what I was seeing and it was, you know, something that had been filed in the federal court that I was able to get onto first uh, because I'd heard that it had been filed. Mm -hmm. um, but 
that story showed, um, this is even before the Banking Royal Commission was called, it mm -hmm. showed the complacency within um, uh, organi a big organisation like the Commonwealth Bank um, and the cultural issues within the Commonwealth Bank that even when internal staff noticed um, uh, suspect-looking people pouring lots of money over the $10,000 threshold into these intelligent deposit machines, that um, the, the word wasn't really registered further up the food chain. And as we've seen from independent reviews into the way the Commonwealth Bank was operating at the time, there was indeed, um, you know, cultural problems and governance problems. Um, so, you know, by being able to expose that story or get onto that story, that was perhaps one of the final, you know, nails in the coffin for the banking sector that really mm -hmm. added to the impetus for a, for a, a banking Royal Commission. commission. Yes. But I would, yes, yeah, stress in saying that, you know, my contribution to that was part of many perhaps bigger contributions, but I was proud to be involved in that. You mentioned these contacts, Peter. People often ask me, where do we find stories? How do you develop these contacts over so so long and get that trust that we're speaking about? Well, it takes a long time, and I think that you've got to be able to uh, build up, you know, relationships based on trust with people who, are, you know, within, you know, within organisations, but in my case also within, you know, regulatory mm -hmm. bodies. It, and it's a, it's a difficult line. It's a, it's a fine line between having contacts who may also you know, perhaps sometimes be your friends in different ways but the only way I, I could explain it is that I would I always send the message that I don't want preferential treatment I'm always going to be asking you know hard questions but I think it all it all comes down to trust and reputation but also um, simply because you may have contacts doesn't mean that you're just going to be running anything you're always going to be questioning issues you don't want to be drinking the Kool-Aid on you know stories as often we see on, you know, stories that big organisations might put out. A big one the other day was from Uber saying, oh, we maybe within four years have drones flying people around Melbourne and everyone got very excited about it. And you think, well, surely the regulation of this is, is going to take at least four years when you can't even get traffic on the ground operating properly. So you've got to be, you know, careful with that. But it does take a long time. I know that going back to my early police rounds days, and this is going back to... Sydney in the early 1980s when police figures like Roger Rogerson was, you know, mm. seeing a person in the arm. Um, what a time squad, to be in that. Um, hold up squad. <laughs> you've got to be, I found you've got to be care, very careful, particularly with dealing with police because, mm. you know, you can often be used. We know mm. the, the walkouts from courts and arrests that police media would set up so I learned very early on that you know if you're not careful you can be used and stories could be distorted and ultimately if you look at many examples over the years of the way that police have operated that people can be locked up or convicted or charged mm. and part of my early days working at the Daily Mirror was that I was a, about a fifth string reporter on the Azaria Chamberlain case and I often look back at that, doing Azaria Chamberlain stories, you know, for a tabloid newspaper, but also um, I had pretty good shorthand, so I was put in the team of covering some of the appeals. But you look back on that and thinking as a 20-year-old, 20, 20, uh, you know, covering a major case where there was actually a miscarriage of justice in the case of Lindy Chamberlain, you reflect on the uh, massive responsibilities that newspapers put on young people then, but also today, but also the massive responsibility of the journalists have in covering big stories like that properly. And sometimes we look back and think, well, could we have done 
that story in a different way was I just going for the front page and I suppose I was in many cases but you know there are very big lessons that you learn and I feel that I've learned some a lot of lessons early on that stay with me today and so that's important. And I can see the excitement on your face Peter that you're still in this game. Yeah um, look there are, some, there, there are some days where I wonder about it but I think that <laughs> I really do see it as a, a privilege being a journalist because we are in a, a, a profession that's under a lot of pressure at the moment and my employer here the ABC has given me some great opportunities in a couple of you know different incarnations whether that's as a reporter or a producer or a foreign correspondent or, or leading a know, newsroom that's as right I was a, yeah I was the director of news at mm. the ABC in Melbourne which was a great opportunity mm. but also difficult at the time because it was in 1997 having come back from overseas and it was at the the election of the Howard government and there were very big mm. funding cuts of the ABC at the time so that was a difficult, um, I suppose, baptism of fire in dealing with uh, redundancies and industrial issues and human resources issues. But, you know, I don't regret any of it. But the ABC has given me the opportunity to be to pretty much to set my own agenda and I can walk into a program like AM and talk to the producers and say, well, this is the idea I've got for this story or I could add value to this particular type of thing or I can get this big name to come in on a program. And, you know, like you win some or you lose some, but I see that, you know, the ABC, you know, is this major voice in Australia. It's so important. We are not influenced by anyone. We we're influenced by other pressures such as, you know, time, the ability to get people, you know, into studios. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it, it is a great job. And while we are tempted, you know, to maybe consider other careers over the years... That I pay see, a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, I see, I see, I see that I see this as a as more of a, more of a you know vocation, and I do work with some very good people as well, and that and that that really helps out. Now you mentioned Washington. Can you tell us a bit about that? People are always so intrigued, myself included, by being a foreign correspondent. Was it what you expected it to be? What was the adventure? What do you remember? I was uh, posted uh, to Washington, and it was right after the uh, the first Gulf War, and so we're going back to 1991. And it was an incredibly interesting period because George Bush Senior, who died uh, recently, was president of the United States, and he had the highest uh, rating of any U.S. president in the wake of the Gulf War. But as we've seen here, you know, with the election, it's all about the economy, and there was an election coming up in 1992, and one of the first things we did, we went up to the New Hampshire primary and we're trying to work out how we would cover this uh, being a, a small fish in a very big fishbowl. And uh, there was this uh, outside candidate and I thought, well, we should, we'll just let our network affiliates, we'll get the material on the, on the really big events and we'll go to this event that uh, Bill Clinton's putting on this guy, the um, <laughs> governor of Arkansas. And we went there and we were the only people to turn up at it. And there was a guy at the back of the room and I had a bit of a chat with him and he introduced himself as George Stephanopoulos, who was a Clinton advisor, and said, do you want to meet the candidate? And uh, we said, sure, we want to meet the candidate. <laughs> And so he met the candidate and met Bill Clinton. Um, this is a time when I was, you know, still had only just worked out who he who he was or is well it was at the time. Um, but he had that incredible presence of um, even then the the, the, mm. the double-handed handshake make you feel as though you're the only person in the room. Similar qualities to, you know, Bob Hawke who died. Mm. 
mm-hmm. recently. So that was very important. And of course, you know, Bill Clinton survived all of the draft dodging, the womanising, smoking marijuana, not inhaling, um, <laughs> to become, you know, US president and one of the great presidents. And, and I always felt that he campaigned on the local US economy, which George Bush was accused of ignoring, mm-hmm. but became an international president. Um, and so that was an incredible, incredible period. Incredible time to be there. An incredible period to be there, but mm. also in social upheaval, upheaval. I mean, one of the early stories was, you know, the Los Angeles riots um, in 1992, which was, you know, incredibly, you know, dangerous. But, you know, that was all about, you know, you were learning very quickly about uh, that, you know, if you, if you thought that um, there was no racism in the United States, you were mm. being very naive. Um, and uh, and then later on, uh, O.J. Simpson case, which was very big, and of course, you know, towards the end of my posting, the Oklahoma City bombing. So it was a big responsibility being there in Washington. Was able to stay there a few more years than normal posting, which was great as well. But but an incredible opportunity that took me around America, and you know, filling in 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 London, and uh, you know, and and travelling down to South America for the Earth Summit mm-hmm. in uh, 1992 as well. So that's one of the great things about the ABC. And I always felt that back in my, you know, daily mirror days, I thought I'd really love to be a foreign correspondent. How am I going to do it? Then you get into the ABC. How are you going to do it? The path get to getting there. And anyone who's got a post overseas will always tell you, particularly if you haven't done it before, that there's a lot of uncertainty about sending new people. But often when you do send new people, and I'm sure that Zoe Daniel would tell the same story, that once you get there and you fire and you really you realise this is what you've wanted and you better not screw it up as well. <laughs> so, you know, it's a great opportunity in the, and I think Australians are fortunate that Australia maintains a very strong network of foreign correspondents through the ABC. It sounds like you really followed your gut feeling, whether that was here or in Washington or wherever you are. Is that a crucial part of being a reporter and finding these big stories? Well, I think you've also got to be, you know, persistent and, you know, my mother's reminded me a few times that, you know, I'm a very persistent person <laughs> and, uh, not, I didn't want to give up, but uh, you know, early on I was. You know, it was very, very has always been very difficult to get into journalism, and a few of the people I started out with had family connections, so it was a bit easier for them. But I always felt that you know you just had to work much harder and show that you had potential, and uh, and I think also the beginnings that I had early at, early at News Limited and early at the ABC was very you know I guess a egalitarian place to work at, um, although you know I often say you know the, the good old days were never as good as you remember. <laughs> Um, and we can always do better on a whole range of, you know, workplace fronts, whether it's, you know, diversity, the way we cover stories, you know, um, and in doing stories that reflect what our audience wants. So to wrap up, uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the Streets of Your Town podcast, the Journo Project. Really appreciate it. Of course, we are speaking on a podcast. You've seen all these different mediums. What's uh, your insights into that? I mean, is is it the story is at the heart of it or do some stories suit different mm-hmm. formats? you've worked in all of this. I think podcasts are a really exciting development. I mean, we have been doing them in different ways over the years, uh, but I think that the bespoke you know, po- podcasts that we do here at the ABC, like The Signal mm. or Russia, Are You Listening, are very important. And they're gaining ground. It'll take some time before they get to the point where, you know, they are at the same level of listenership as the big free-to-air broadcast stations or programs, but that will eventually happen. Uh, but I, I, I liken what's happening with podcasts and changes in, you know, free-to-air media as, uh, as I found with, you know, newspapers, that afternoon newspapers, they weren't 
always going to be there. They were gradually going to fade away. The platforms might change, but what's most important is the quality of the journalism and maintaining that. So I believe that being on free-to-air uh, radio on a big program like AM, which has you know a million-plus audience in the world today and PM, for example, they they have an incredibly big reach. But more and more people, are, you know, using that time-shifting ability to you know listen to either individual stories or listen to the programs in their cars, and it's more about convenience. But we know that there are people out there driving around, you know, in cars, trucks, buses, listening to free-to-air, and we have to really you know keep concentrating on that. Thank you so much, Peter. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. That was veteran ABC Business Journal and Walkley Award winner Peter Ryan speaking to me for the Journal Project in one of the ABC studios at Ultimo. Streets of Your Town is produced by Nance Haxton, a.k.a. The Wandering Journo, with production assistance from Michael Adams. That's it for this episode. I'm Nance Haxton. Stay up to date with the latest episode of Streets of Your Town by subscribing on your podcast app on iTunes or SoundCloud. See you next time.